Well, it is certainly a blessing and a privilege to be here before you tonight. Uh, I definitely want to uh, start by saying I appreciate the prayers on my behalf, Brother Patrick, and I, uh, I definitely appreciate the song service thus far. Uh, tonight we're continuing our uh, Sunday evening uh, sermon series that we've been having on uh, the armor of God, and tonight I've, uh, I've been assigned the shield of faith, and that's what we're going to be studying. I want us to go ahead and turn, uh, and I have the uh, verses on the PowerPoint, but if you prefer to follow along in your own Bible, you may, uh, to Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10 uh, through 18, which is where uh, the subject matter of our sermon series has been coming from. Starting in verse 10, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. Stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, above all taking the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. And of course tonight our... Uh, Study comes from verse 16, above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. And so tonight we're going to be talking about faith. We're going to be talking, uh, as you probably could have guessed from the song service this evening, we're going to be talking about how faith relates to a shield and how our faith allows us to defend ourselves from the attacks that we face from the wicked of this earth. First thing I want to look at a little bit is I have a picture of a shield up on the slide there. Now this is a, uh, a Roman soldier shield. This is one that uh, many soldiers would use. And this is more, most likely the kind of shield that was being talked about in the passage there. A lot of times we think of shields, uh, maybe you think of like Captain America and his red, white, and blue shield or something along those lines. Or maybe you think of, of a knight and the... Uh, almost arrowhead-shaped shields that we see. But this was the shield that was more commonly uh, carried by a Roman soldier at the time. And you can see that this shield was meant to protect a large, large portion of the body. Uh, these shields were very effective at this. And this is what a shield is meant for, is a shield is meant to protect the most vital areas. So it's meant to protect your heart, your chest, uh, all of your organs you've got going on in your torso. It can be used to protect your neck. A shield is something that usually in battle is meant to be cowered behind almost. It's meant to be hidden behind to prevent and to protect ourselves from an attack. And it's a little different from armor in that sense. Armor is there, and armor, you know, when you get hit with something and you're wearing a piece of armor, that force still carries through. Now, you're protected because you've got armor on, but uh, if you've ever played football, like I know I did when I was a kid, just because you had football pads on doesn't mean it didn't hurt a little bit when you got hit. Didn't mean you didn't get knocked back a little bit. You, didn't, you couldn't just stand there. But a shield's a little bit more uh, efficient at getting that force away from you as a person. I think that's why faith was chosen and was represented by a shield in this scripture. In James chapter 1 and verse 2, uh, pardon me, verse 5 is where we start here. 
Um, actually, I think my slides are just out of order. They are. Okay, so James chapter 1 and verse 2. Uh, we want to start in verse 2 here, and it reads, My brethren, count it all joy when ye fall into diverse temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have her perfect work, that ye may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. And then in verse 5, If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, that giveth to all men liberally, and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. But let him ask in faith, nothing wavering, for he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea, driven with the wind, and tossed. You see, a shield allows us to stand against a blow, a physical blow, and not move, and not be moved by it, and to, and to stand our ground here. And much like that, in that same sense, faith allows us to not be moved in the same sense of a spiritual attack. Faith allows us to stand strong, and it allows us to not waver when we hold our faith upright. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, it reads, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen, for by it the elders obtained a good report. Through faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. Looking, I, I really like that the passage here starts uh, in verse 3, talking about its faith that shows us that the earth was formed by the word of God. Now, there have been many disputes about how this earth was made and about how this universe was created and how it came to be uh, from scientists for hundreds of years at this point. Even though it may be not be the most modernly accepted theory, there has always been someone claiming to know how the earth came to be. There have always been different arguments and there are many different links and scientific studies and findings that can show us and can point us in certain directions. But in truth, none of us have any solid, concrete evidence of proving that God is the one who created the heavens and the earth. We don't have anything that we can go, well, see, this right here is finite, 100% irrefutable proof. We just don't have that yet because none of us were there. And there's no written records or anything, any uh, substantial evidence, worldly speaking, that shows that claim. But what we do have is faith. And we have faith, and we can look at other, these other things, and we can look at these scientific found, findings and use them to uphold our faith and use them to strengthen our faith and use them to back up our claims. But ultimately, our belief in God is found and is based in faith. In Romans chapter 1 and verse 15 it reads, So as much as in me is, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. You know, there are a lot of things in the Bible that certain historians like to claim as fictional or not true or that they didn't happen. For a long time until fairly recently, uh, of course, fairly recently being in the past few years, there were some claims that there was no scientific or no historical documentation of Jesus until that was proven wrong. And there was documentations of Jesus being a very real, very living person uh, that was found. And 
there are several times in the scriptures where it talks about how the apostles and the early church, they saw many of the things that are described in the Bible. But we didn't see any of these things. And yet we still believe that they happened. We haven't seen all these miracles that have been performed, and yet we still believe they happened. And we still hold steadfast in that, and we still hold steadfast in that as our justification for walking alongside God and following his word. And that is all rooted in faith. In 1 Peter chapter 5, and verse 8, it reads, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour, whom resists steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. But the God of all grace, who hath called us unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after, ye hath, after that ye have suffered a while, make you perfect, establish, strengthen, settle you. See, we have to hold on to our faith tightly. Because much like a shield, while faith is strong, while faith is able to protect us, while it is designed to protect us, and while it is powerful, there are still ways to get around it. And the greatest opportunity for our, our faith to be overcome and our faith to be broken and our faith to, be, to falter and to challenge is when we let our guard down. We have to remain vigilant, brothers and sisters. We have to remain watchful for the attacks on our faith because they don't always come from where we expect them to. Sometimes, instead of coming from a stranger on the street, a challenge of faith can come from someone in our home, someone we love, a family member, someone we trust, someone we confide in, can challenge our faith. Sometimes circumstance can challenge our faith. And we have to be watchful for when that happens. And we have to be careful. And we have to keep the shield raised, so to speak. In Matthew chapter 4 and verse 1, Matthew chapter 4 and verse 1, it reads, Then was Jesus led up of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. And when he had fasted forty days and forty nights, he was afterward and hungered. And when the tempter came to him, he said, If thou be the Son of God, command that these stones be made bread. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Then the devil taketh him up into the holy city, and setteth him on a pinnacle of the temple, and saith unto him, If thou be the Son of God, cast thyself down, for it is written, He shall give his angels charge concerning thee, and in their hands they shall bear thee up, lest at any time thou dash thy foot against a stone. Jesus said unto him, It is written again, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. Verse 8, Again the devil taketh him up into an exceeding high mountain, and showeth him all the kingdoms of the world, and the glory of them. And saith unto him, All these things will I give thee, if thou wilt fall down and worship me. Then saith Jesus unto him, Get thee hence, Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord, the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. Then the devil leaveth him, and behold, angels came and ministered unto him. This description of Jesus and his temptation and his fasting of the 40 days and 40 nights is a master class in use of the shield of faith. Jesus' faith was challenged openly by Satan. 
It was challenged by his circumstances. It was challenged by what he was facing at the time. Because he was hungry. I mean, I get hungry if I go about four hours without eating. <laughs> I can't imagine 40 days and 40 nights without food or water. And in that moment of weakness is when Satan came for Jesus. We all have moments of weakness, don't we? We all have maybe days we go without sleeping as much as usual. Maybe we only get about four hours of sleep a night or maybe less. I don't know. And, you know, that's something that we think of as a little trivial until you're only operating on four hours of sleep at night. And then suddenly that four hours means a lot because you're tired. And when you're tired, you make poor decisions. And when you're hungry, you make poor decisions. And when we're weak and when we're exhausted and when we're limited, it's really easy to lose sight of what's important and what's right. But we see here Jesus, when offered glories beyond our comprehension and things that we couldn't even imagine and power that we couldn't even imagine, Jesus turned them down. When he was weak. Because he had faith in the Father. Because he had faith in God and faith in his plan. And he knew what God had planned was much more meaningful than anything that the devil could offer. Than anything that Satan could tempt him with. In Romans chapter 8 and verse 31 it reads, What shall we say, then say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall we not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. If God be for us, who can be against us? If we have faith in God, and we have faith in his power, the all-powerful, almighty God that we believe in, who can live up to that? Who can challenge that? If we have true faith in God. Is there anything on this earth that can compare to the might and the awesome power of God? Absolutely not. And it is when we have faith in that God that he is on our side that we can accomplish all things. Now, I talked a little bit about uh, the Roman shield and I had an example of a Roman shield earlier. And... You know, a, a shield is, is really good for defending a person. But the Romans, and I don't know, uh, my memory fails me here, but I don't know if they were the ones who invented this particular strategy or if they're rather the ones who got famous for it. Uncle Robert's nodding at me, so I guess I'm, that, then they did invent that strategy of the, uh, the, the tortoise defense. And the tortoise defense kind of looks like this. Uh, it's where several of these Roman legionnaires would line up right next to one another and they would hold their shields in close ranks side by side and they would hold them over each other so that they could approach an enemy without arrows being able to pierce them and without arrows being able to get past and they would protect one another. Now, keep in mind, this is the same time period. This, is a, this photo is a recreation of that, but this was a strategy being used by the controlling military power at this time period. They were familiar with this strategy. It was probably how they lost their homeland to the Roman Empire. 
One shield, one soldier with one shield is good. Many soldiers with several shields is better. And it's better able to defend one another. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 11, Wherefore, comfort yourselves together and edify one another, even as also ye do. And we beseech you, brethren, to know them which labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake, and be at peace among yourselves. Now we exhort you, brethren, warn them that are unruly, comfort the feeble-minded, support the weak, be patient toward all men. You see, faith, much like a shield, is best used when there's several of them around there. You know, most of the time in, in medieval battles and back when we fought with more melee weapons, melee-based weaponry, defenses and shield walls and defensive lines were typically who you had out front. You had guys with shields out there standing there to block incoming charges. And you had multiple of them. When is your faith strongest, brothers and sisters? When is your faith at its most powerful? Is it when you're walking alone by yourself? Is it when you're the only Christian in an environment? Or is it in places like this, surrounded by your fellow brothers and sisters? Or is it when you're with other Christians, maybe even not at a church service? Maybe when you're somewhere else, when you're together with one another, with people that you know and you trust that believe in the same God and in the same faith and in the same Savior as you. In 1 Corinthians chapter 16 and verse 13 it reads, Watch ye, stand fast in the faith, quit you like men, be strong. Let all your things be done with charity or love. I beseech you, brethren, ye know the house of Stephanus, that is the first fruits of Achaia, and they that have addicted themselves to the ministry of the saints. That ye submit yourselves unto such and to every one that helpeth with us and laboreth. I am glad of the coming of Stephanus and Fortunatus and Achaius, for that which was lacking on your part they have supplied. For they have refreshed my spirit and yours. Therefore, acknowledge ye them that are such. We as Christians, and really as humans, are very communal creatures. Humans like to be around one another. They like to be close with one another, generally speaking. And as a Christians, we are stronger when we are united as with one another. And when we are close with one another. And when we are strengthening one another. Because when one falters, there are two other beside them to lift them up. Because when one has weakness, there are others there who are there to be strong for them. Our faith is best maintained by our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. And we can help each other. And that's how it was designed to be. That was how the first church operated. It wasn't just Paul running around preaching and converting people. It wasn't just Peter going around and baptizing people. It was all of the apostles. It was all of the disciples. It was all of the Christians working together as one body and one mind in Christ. In Romans chapter 15 and verse 5, it reads, Now the God of patience and consolation grant you to be like-minded one toward another according to Christ Jesus, that ye may with one mind and one mouth glorify God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Wherefore, receive ye one another as Christ also received us to the glory of God. 
Now I say that Jesus Christ was a minister of the circumcision for the truth of God to confirm the promises made unto the fathers. We have to build each other up, brothers and sisters. And what we're doing here tonight is building each other up. It is strengthening that faith. It is raising that shield all together, one another, as one unit, as one body and mind of Christ. In James chapter 2, verse 17, it reads, Even so faith, if it hath not works, is dead being alone. Yea, a man may say, Thou hast faith, and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works, and I will show thee my faith by my works. Thou believest that there is one God, thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble. But wilt thou know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he had offered Isaac his son upon the altar? Seest thou how faith wrought his, with his works, and by works was faith made perfect? And the scripture was fulfilled which saith, Abraham believed God, and it was imputed unto him for righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. Ye see then how that by works a man is justified, and not by faith only. Likewise also was not Rahab the harlot justified by works when she had received the messengers and had sent them out another way? For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. A shield that's just kind of held there at your side might as well not even be there. It's just weighing you down at that point. You can't just have faith there. You can't just claim to have faith. That's not enough. It's not enough to just say, well, I have faith and I believe in God and you have faith and you believe in God, so I guess we're both good. There's more to it than that. See, because if you really believe in God and you really believe his word, you'll do something with that faith. That faith will cause you to try to work and try to be righteous and try to bring others to that faith. Because if you truly had faith that Jesus Christ was the Son of God and that he is saved from sins, would you not want everyone you knew to take part in that sacrifice? And would you not do everything you can to make sure that they are also behind that shield of faith? It's not enough to just believe. Romans chapter 10 and verse 8, it reads, But what saith it, the word is nigh thee, even in thy mouth and in thine heart, that is the word of faith which we preach, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. If the faith is purely internal, what good does it do for those around you? If you only believe on the inside, does it help anyone else? Did Jesus keep his gospel and his truth to himself? Did the apostles keep the gospel of Jesus to themselves? And they were under the threat of their lives. Their lives were threatened for preaching Jesus. Jesus himself was threatened for preaching himself as the Son of God. Rightfully so, preaching himself as the Son of God, his life was threatened and was, of course, eventually taken. And yet we hide that faith inside 
out of fear of ridicule and being mocked and being thought ill of and being thought negatively of. The first step to salvation is belief. The second is confession. Is a proclamation of that belief. We have to confess that belief, brothers and sisters. Faith cannot stop with faith. It can't stop with belief. It has to go somewhere. It has to move on. Otherwise, it is dead like a body without a soul. In 2 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 8, For though I made you sorry with a letter, I do not repent, though I did repent. For I perceive that the same epistle hath made you sorry, though it were but for a season. Now I rejoice, not that ye were made sorry, but that ye sorrowed to repentance. For ye were made sorry after a godly manner, that ye might receive damage by us in nothing. For godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation, not to be repented of, but the sorrow of the world worketh death. It's not enough to just claim to be a believer. If you're claiming to be a believer of God, if you're claiming to have faith in Christ, and you're claiming to have faith in Jesus, but you're going out and you're living riotously, and you're going out and you're using rude and filthy language, but you're going out and you're being sexually immoral, and you don't have any desire to change those things, and you aren't working to be better. None of us are perfect. We all make mistakes. We all sin. We all slip up. But what good is it if we just say we believe in Christ, and we believe in Christ, wholeheartedly we do, and we say we believe in Christ, and we tell everyone we're a Christian, and then we go out and we live like that doesn't mean anything. No, that repentance is essential. And then there's one more important step of faith. In Acts chapter 2 and verse 38 it reads, Then Peter said unto them, Repent, there it is again, repent, and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For the promise is unto you and to your children and to all that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. And with many other words did he testify and exhort, saying, Save yourselves from this untoward generation. Then they that gladly received his word were baptized, and the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. Faith will allow us to do things that we couldn't do without it. And it will convince us, and we believe because of faith, that dipping in water and covering ourselves in water and believing in Christ and proclaiming his name is what we need to be baptized. Is what we need not to be baptized, is what we need to be saved from our sins. Is living the walk of a Christian. Acts chapter 22 and verse 16, it reads, And now, why tarriest thou, arise and be baptized, and wash away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord. You think anyone is going to turn to Christ without faith? Of course not. It's essential. Faith is essential to how we live our lives. Because if we didn't have faith, then this world is hopeless. If we don't have faith in God and something beyond, what does anything 
It doesn't. It means nothing. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 4 through 6, There is one body and one spirit, even as ye are called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. And it is through the faith in that God the Father, and that God who sent his only Son to die for us so that we could be forgiven for our sins. Not the sins of someone else. Not the sins of our parents. Not the sins of our children. Not the sins of our neighbors. Our personal sins Christ Jesus died for. And we cannot partake in that sacrifice if we do not hold on to the faith of Jesus Christ. That concludes the lesson for the evening. Tonight, if you, have, if you have the faith of Jesus Christ, if you have that belief and you have that certainty, but you have yet to be saved, if you have yet to partake of that sacrifice, you have yet to become one with the church and become one with Jesus in baptism, we ask you to wait no longer. We ask that you would come forward, that you would confess his name, that you would repent and sin no longer, and that you would be baptized in his name. And if you've already done that, and you're struggling with your faith, and it's faltering, and you need the prayers of the church, that's what we're here for. We're here to encourage one another, brethren. That's why we come together like this. To uplift one another in our faith and in our walks. If you be a by the group, we ask that you would come forward on the front pew as we stand and sing the song that's been selected.